an Amiga emulator type thing. I'm not sure what you can actually do with it, but it, I know that it, it can load up like Workbench and stuff like that. And it has all like the <clears throat> sound of the Amiga drive and stuff like that. Well, when I, I was in the... Uh, Paris a few years ago now, and they they had a box of video game vinyl, and they were it was the prices were astonishing. It was like 50, 60 euros, and I eventually managed to get hold. I, I think because there was a slight crease in the corner of the the record, I managed to get the another world like vinyl um, imported from France for nine euros. It was ridiculous, right? And I put it on, and of course, it's just because there's so little music in the game. If they've just put everything they possibly can on there, like different versions of intros, and it's all fine. The Amiga music is clearly the best. But yeah, you, you before you flip it over to the second side, don't you worry? It, 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 so amazing. Hearing that on vinyl as well, it's so beautifully like analog and crisp. I just thought, oh, this is beautiful stuff. It's the highlight of the whole thing. But. Uh, yeah, this is well. Yeah, this is um, a bit of a change from from Kino Kingdom. This is the men who talk, and we're, we're reverting back to our, our state of play, um, our ancestry. Really, mm-hmm. we are going back to to you know the magic that uh, that kicked us off. We're going to talk about video games for a little while, um, and I suppose this is really we probably would do this a bit more regularly now. But it's more of a um, this is going to be more of a catch up of. 2021 and, and i suppose the video games this is number 21 by the way state of play 21 um just catching up on the the video games that had an impact on us not so much i don't know if you've got i've, I've actually got a top 10 from the um games series of the website i write for mm. so i'm going to be going through that and talking about other bits and pieces that recently have caught my attention but how, how are you going to approach this rupert is it a top 10 from you or oh yeah it's not a top 10 i've got but i've got a few best ofs on switch uh, and xbox and a couple of honorable mentions each and a couple of most disappointing games of last okay. year this is all all games from last year um and then i thought we can look forward to some of the big releases from 2022 um yeah and see what we're looking forward to um, I'm, I'm looking for- i'm just it, I thought we could start off actually with some of the big news of the moment because, you know, we, we like to keep up to date around here. We don't just watch Death Wish sequels from the mid 80s. Uh, we do actually keep vaguely up to date. And, some um, of us do that, the other one, others <laughs> don't. Yeah, that's right. Some of us watch the Shoot Fighter series and No Retreat, No Surrender and American Ninja 5. Others don't. <laughs> um, so. Well, I suppose the biggest news, biggest gaming news at the moment is the um, Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard uh, for almost $70 billion. $70 billion. Um, um, Activision Blizzard, they're the ones that do, um, is it WoW? They do World of Warcraft, yes. They do Call of Duty, they do StarCraft, they do Diablo. Oh yes, Spyro. I think they just. I, I don't know. The thing is, the thing is, this, this, these acquisitions. I mean, they, they mean so little to me. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, well, actually, one of my favorite indie developers is uh, Low Tech Games, um, mm. and uh, Alistair Lowe, the developer for them, has said. Um, I don't know if you've heard. He did a little, a little gif earlier on in a wonderful Scottish brogue that said, "I don't know if you've heard, but um, 
Activision Blizzard that have been bought up by Microsoft. Of course you've heard, because everyone's fucking talking about it. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, oh, God, I don't give a hoot about that. I'm more upset or more impacted by the fact that um, like there's, there's a game released on the Mega Drive called Invasion, which uh, I know that uh, I think it's called Psycho Cat Studios, mm. created uh, the father created to show his children how to code on a mega drive and i mm. went on their website a couple of weeks ago and it's no longer functional and i was more upset Ooh. by that yeah I that's thought, more impactful oh. yeah yeah so but what does it mean to, i mean to you really uh, or, or, the, or the larger listenership i just it just seems like a just a generic buyout i think i suspect that most people will be looking at it through the lens of game pass i would think and I guess exclusivity in general, really, because obviously when um, when Microsoft bought Bethesda previously, uh, it meant not only that certain games would be coming to Game Pass, which is nice, but also that certain upcoming games, i.e. Starfield, um, oh, would, yes, yes. would most likely in fact, indeed, certainly become Xbox exclusives. So overall, is it a good thing? I'm not sure. I think the my feeling is it's not a complete catastrophe for the industry because I think it's such a massive money-spinning industry that there's enough space for, you know, these huge kind of takeovers and stuff. I think as well, if, if you're going to purchase a company like, Activision Blizzard now is the time to do it really because uh, apparently their latest Call of Duty game has had disappointing sales and and on top of that they've they're kind of mired in controversy about toxic workplace and this Bobby Kotick yeah. thing. Yeah, CEO yeah. is well I don't know he was clinging on now I I guess cynically you might say well now he's going to get a massive payout but I suppose at least he goes. And they might be able to clean up the place. So yeah, I suppose it's a win-win in some ways for them. But yeah, just the lens. Yeah, yeah go on. I, I just wanted to put the. It, it's it's such a massive, massive amount of money that it's just unreal. Like it's obviously the biggest ever takeover in gaming, but I imagine it must be the biggest takeover in any form of entertainment. I can't think of anything which could possibly be more massive because. Well, put it in this way, right? Microsoft bought Bethesda uh, for about 7.5 billion, so just over a tenth of what they paid for Activision Blizzard. And to put it further in perspective, Disney bought Marvel for 4 billion, and Disney also bought Star Wars separately for 4 billion, you know. So you kind of get an idea of the amount of revenue that must be pouring through Activision Blizzard because unless they've paid ridiculously over over the odds then you, you the say valuation that, but must be vaguely accurate I don't I don't have the numbers to hand but I'm reading a book at the moment called A Gremlin in the Works by Bitmap mm-hmm. Books and in 1987 um, yeah. US Gold attempted to, to buy out Gremlin Interactive and I mean I'm not I don't have the numbers but um, I mean, it could be seventy billion. I'd have to, I'd have to have a quick look. I'll have to get to the next. I think, chat. yeah, maybe, yeah. We don't want to just, we don't want to just bandy around numbers without checking it first. We've got to when do our research. Got, when you've got gold like Monty on the run, of Vida Zane Monty, you know, you need <laughs> these. 
<laughs> these tight titans, titans of the industry. Let's call them what they are. Once thing upon on a, a time, thing on a spring. <laughs> Once upon a time, uh, Microsoft tried to buy Nintendo. Actually, they were laughed out of the park. But you know, just go to show money talks, doesn't it? That would be a bit of a problem, I think. Not just because of my personal love for Nintendo, but I think what when it becomes a problem is when it becomes a real monopoly. Like, because at the moment it's quite a nice balance between the kind of Microsoft, Sony, big boy war, and then kind of Nintendo as the weird outsider. So I think there's quite a nice balance there. I think if one of those legs of that tripod fall away, then it could become a bit of an ugly industry. Anyway, the other piece of news that I noticed recently, talking of titans of the industry, was that Ian Livingston has been knighted. Ian Livingston, mm-hmm. co-founder of Games Workshop. And um, yeah, yeah. and of course, he began. He started a um, company called Domark, which Amiga fans will remember, championship manager and hard driving and all that. So uh, And then he went on to ADOS Interactive, and obviously that was... Domark fans out there, I know that someone is fist-pumping as they listen to this, as they think about the, the Mega Drive version of Timothy Dalton's Bond, um, made by Domark. Oh, God, they, they did, yeah, they they must have done a Spy Love Me and, and, and that as well. Oh, they did Live and Let Die, which was one of those games, I think maybe the first level is where it's like a vertically scrolling, like, racing section where you're in a speedboat, and it's so fast... And, you, the, and like the screen's so limited that it's impossible to see what's coming up. So you can just go down like dead ends and stuff and just die instantly. It's so unfair. Are you sure you're not talking about the um, second stage of Terminator 2, the arcade game? I'm not. And neither am I talking about the Master System version of Xenon 2. So don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, but don't worry, because in that one, the slowdown is such that you can, like, if you know you're going the wrong way, you can hammer the fire button and slow it down to half a frame a second. So at least you can extend your death in slow motion. Um, <laughs> in Living yeah. Circles, also responsible for many of the fighting fantasy books. They, they've released them um, recently. They did the, um, isn't it? I don't, I think it may have been. It's a bridge end based film called Wales Interactive who did um I think it's called like the Golden the Golden Room or something. Uh some sort of Fight of Fantasy spin-off. And also Eddie Marsan did did a a reading of them as well, like an F and V game, which sounds quite funky. So there's a there's definitely a lot of them, a lot of freshness coming around from the from those um uh that what's the word I'm looking for? Like F and V. Yeah, that yeah, that that company that uh, from Ian Livingston, effectively. Yeah. Well, well done, Ian. Sir Ian. Um, right, should we get into the games then? 2021 in review. Yeah, I've got to say that mine um, t- take a somewhat indie approach. And what I've done with my top 10, again, I'm just scrolling through my the article I did last month for Games Reader. And it, these are just, these not, they are games, but they're also... It, it's uh, it's not just video games. It's things related to them as well that, that had an impact on me this year. So yeah. I've got my top ten. Well, actually, um, I've just realised that I have my best ofs and honourable mentions are exactly ten in number. So this could work quite well. We can go oh, back nice. and forth quite easily. Shall I shall I kick off? Crack on. So this is in no particular order, although, as I've said in this article, if it wasn't an order, this would be close to the top. And that is a 
an indie game called Tux and Fanny, which is released uh, on Nintendo Switch and Steam a few months ago. And it's based it's based on a movie, a brilliant movie, which is free. Just Tux and Fanny on YouTube. And this is uh, the, the, the it's done in a sort of Sierra online, you know, police quest, King's Quest sort of way where it's, mm-hmm. it's just got that, you know, you've got the point system and it's a it's a, a, a sort of ostensibly a, a, a 2D uh, point and click adventure. But it really isn't that it's it just uses that as a as a as a sort of canvas to paint the game on. And what this is, is actually one of the best games ever written, Rupert, right. because it starts off and Tux and Fanny are just two. They speak in this sort of weird pigeon false Russian accent that's sort of kind of garbled and distorted through radio. And it's just two, it's one pink and one purple. They look like a pixelated version. If you remember Tony Art's Morph from yes, um, yes. yeah, so that that sort of thing. And the game starts off with them outside the garden in the in this uh, they live in just this field in a house and their football goes flat and they just have to reinflate the football and that is the mm. game. And you go off on this really surreal adventure um just like sort of some of it is just it, some of it's just going around and solving puzzles but then you'll get all these different mini games like um controlling a maggot through like a cat's guts um you'll you'll switch between characters one of them is about these fleas trying to trying to find this holy place one is just a cat at night time that doesn't tie into the game at all at the start and then you realize has a massive impact on the characters as you sort of flip between the characters at key points and it's done and the, the key thing about it it's it's this i've never seen a game this well balanced because it balances surrealism and humor uh but it doesn't fall into quirkiness and randomness it's cl- it's right. very clearly an extremely unique viewpoint done in a really wholesome way and wholesome in gaming is one of my favorite words um yes. I, I, so you're i was genuinely just completely like la- laughing out loud at the game um like they'll just be you could play through this with a child like there are moments when you're walking along and you'll see like a like a like, i don't know like a a skull on the floor and you'll click on the skull and it'll just be like you know just an animal skull and there'll just be an ant pacing back and forth in the skull and it'll cut to the ant's viewpoint looking up at you as taxofani talking to it and then the, the 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 then it'll just talk about how the time of the humans is nigh and it'll just go to this like really odd sort of surrealist little it's all it's all wordlessly done at just sort of garbled sound effects but the way it balances really fun mini games and a really engaging narrative with 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 a sense of humor and gameplay mechanics that just constantly feel really rich and rewarding is astonishing it never feels it never feels zany or random it mm-hmm. always feels focused um and it is a testament to the design of go uh, ghost time games because um the previous game before this was a game called jet omero which had an amazing soundtrack and and it's probably one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen. Every single frame of animation in Jet Mirror could be a poster on a wall, but it struggled with gameplay. And this yeah. is totally stripped down visually with almost, you know, um, Commodore 64 Atari sort of style graphics. Um, but just laden with these amazing dream sequences and constantly inventive puzzles. And it's a game that I actually stopped playing towards the end because I'm determined to play it through again with my son when he's old enough. Because I think <laughs> a child will get just as much out of it as an adult, yes. and I will. And like, there's an entire library that you can walk into this game. There's there's a library of books, and I think there's 50 stories in them, actual full length sort of stories you can read. 
there's 25 plus mini games. It's an amazing game, Tux and Fanny. It's on Steam and Switch. Awesome. Yeah, I do find that children are weirdly receptive to surrealism. I think it's like the non sequitur nature of it, I guess. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty cool. Tux, yeah, it's, as in T-U-X. T-U-X and Fanny. And there's a video on YouTube, which is, I would say, um, a, a slightly more full on than the video game. The video game feels more accessible. But yeah. again, worth checking on. It's just 90 minutes of um, surrealist gold. Um, I, I, I just thought, assumed it's going to be like a short film, but no. No, no, they do the not floor. mess around. Um, right. But yeah, the, the other thing I would say is, heartbreakingly, um, I, I've been chatting with Ghost Like Games on and off since reviewing this about three or four months ago. And at one point, it had sold fewer than 700 copies on Switch, which is Ooh. absolutely, totally, utterly unacceptable. So I think that I think if they're coming up to like a thousand copies sold now, but yeah, this this was a game that I just when I reviewed it, I thought that's the game of the year. That's clearly going to be a classic, and it's just massively disappointing to me that it's not. Well, it's still a classic, but just not a popular classic. Um, right. Also on Switch, uh, and this is no particular order again. Uh, Hunt Down was one of my favourites last oh, year. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, this is an eighties. Sort of themed cyberpunk inspired uh, sideways scrolling shooter from Swedish developers called Easy Trigger. Um, it's it's pixel art. It's uh, linear. It's easy to learn, hard to master. Good. It's absolutely over the top. It's absurdly over the top. Um, it's got these awesome weapons in it. Um, sort of like you, you've got pistol you got three three different characters all with different starting weapons but basically a form pistol and you can pick up shotguns and machine guns and miniguns and grenade launchers all sorts and what's cool is that each gun genuinely alters your tactics and how you deal with enemies who of course splatter all over the place um you can pick up grenades and that um yeah and the, it's just really responsive the controls are lovely um uh, genuinely sort of different ways to tackle enemies and approach uh, levels, which is cool. Um, it's kind of like, I guess if, at a push, it's sort of like Metal Slug meets Door Kickers, I'd say. And yeah, really, really fun. And it's kind of set up in such a way that each level is not too big, so it can kind of be cleared in like maybe five to ten minutes um and then you get to uh any section you end up with a, a boss and the boss fight's really fun quite varied um and also then you like a game like door kickers you have like uh kind of medals you can obtain um for doing certain things um certain challenges always the same on each one so for example getting through getting through the whole level without dying, for example. And you can also, you can find these briefcases um, hidden around in the scenery and stuff. Um, and I think the third medal is just killing literally everyone on the map. So, and it's one of those games where I very rarely, like once I finish the game, I very rarely go back and play through it again to get medals and stuff. I'm not really a completionist at all, but this one, I genuinely, it, I was having so much fun and it's so replayable 
I was more than happy to go back and try and get all the medals. Did I succeed? Well, you can imagine. <laughs> you can but, imagine but you the did. that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> let's imagine that I did. Even the reality is that I absolutely did not. But yeah, it's it's really really fun, and the multiplayer is good fun as well. Yeah, I, I remember um, I got sent this for review for Games Freezer, and I just couldn't because I just can't really practically play on PC any, anymore. And um, I, I, you, I think your brother kindly took up the mantle of covering it, and it was one of his games of the year as well. And yeah. uh, you said you loved it, and yeah, I, 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 I kind of I think I dabbled in it for a bit and thought, yeah, this is really, really saucy. I didn't realize it was on it was on console, so I can imagine that's how I'll probably find my way to it. But yeah i was the same as you with with, with door kickers i um door kickers action squad not the top down door kickers yes, on PC, correct, yeah. was um was it was a game that like you know be, being a parent of a young child you don't, often can't think oh i'll just sit down and finish morrowind i think so you you, you I, it, it was a beautiful game to think right i got 10 minutes i can like blast through a cup try and three star some levels and then, yeah. and then fail but I've, I've had a good time yeah oh door kickers are so good yeah yeah door kickers it, action it, squad with them, um, with Hunt Down, is are there is there talk of a sequel? Is it is it the company's first game? What's happening with it? Is I'm it... not sure actually. I'll have to find that out while you're discussing your next game. But um, I, I imagine it must have done pretty well. I mean, I remember it being reasonably high profile for uh, an indie game at the time. And you know, it's so competent. It, you know, some indie games when they're kind of like the first effort, they can be a bit janky bit glitchy mm. and you kind of let you know you let it pass because because it is you know a debut game or whatever but then you get other indie games where they're clearly made by experienced developers who've like worked at big studios or whatever before or whatever and you there's a kind of sheen of quality and it just feels really solid it feels like one of them like it feels very very solid very well balanced um, my next, again, what I've been doing this last year is I've been covering a lot of um, video game like accessories, hardware and, and vinyl and so on. And I didn't think that this this next record would have as much of an impact on me as it did. And this is Matt Gray's um, Reformation, Lost Ninja 2, Back with a Vengeance. I, I kind of stumbled across this on Twitter and sort of chanced it and said, oh, you know, I'd love to cover this on the site. And he sent it out and I was going out, I was taking my son for a walk and I opened it and I actually like st- stood in my kitchen looking at the absolute glory of this record while my son cried in the background. It, I was like, I was literally like a drug addict looking at a big <laughs> bar of brown waiting for that sweet injection. Just thinking, I can't believe how beautiful this is, this record. Um, if you can imagine, it's hard to explain something that, but the the Last Ninja Two, um, it's a picture disc. So the Last Ninja Two um, cover is is like this sort of, I think it's taken from us, like a Sunny Chiba film or something in the seventies. It's like narrowed mm. ninja eyes overlooking, like the you can see the twin towers, like the New York skyline. It's this sort of yellow gray haze, and it's picture disc on both. It's a double vinyl, so you know on on them, and it just looks amazing. I didn't really play the last Ninja games on the Commodore 64, and I think the third one was on the Amiga. But I, I played them. I played them a bit, but I couldn't because I mean, when the Commodore 64 came out, I would have been five or six, and I think I just couldn't really get used to the isometric controls because I think the controls were finicky. But I didn't realize how good the music was, and like I've listened to a lot of um, 
sometimes over the years when I'm doing something like when I used to uh, put my games room in order or if I was, um, you know, doing something around the flat, I would check on like a like an Amiga playlist or a PS1 playlist or a Mega Drive soundtrack playlist and just like, you know, have them going on in the background. And I've heard yeah. Last Ninja through that. But what this is, uh, Matt Gray is... Um, has taken the soundtrack for the last ninja 2 that he wrote back in the 80s and he's revisited it with modern production values and modern samples and so you know how all of uh, everything had that sort of kind of energetic techno beat um yes. and the, the wavery sort of like fl- uh, flappy slappy synth well this this is like really a really rich beautifully loudly mastered uh, vinyl soundtrack and and there's there's so many layers to it like a song will come in and it'll just be like four bass notes and it'll just be sort of um like bloody lenny kravitz want to get away whatever and then of course it'll just add these layers and layers and then it'll go on for like five or six minutes and it just keeps on feeling like it's just throwing more and more at it until it's just this you're just in at the pinnacle of ecstasy before the next song <laughs> comes on just thinking yes 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 and um it's a trick that just never gets old just like starting off with like a really uh catchy simple earwormish bass line and then getting some really booming drum samples in there and just adding more and more layers of like really um beautiful well-chosen melodic synth until it's just this cacophony of solid solid gold it took me ages to review it because i couldn't stop listening to it to actually write about it um i, I put it on and think right you know let's make some notes and then i just shut my eyes and think no i'm just listening to this now there's no time to write anymore um and I know there are very few copies left on the the, the, um, the website, which is, I think it's called 6582. Let me scroll down to the bottom of this. Um, yeah, I think it's, sorry, one second. I'm just desperately trying to find it now. 6581records.com. There's very few vinyl uh, vinyl left, but there's also, you can listen to it on Spotify, and that's Last Ninja 2, Back With a Vengeance, Reformation by Matt Gray. And it is absolutely, totally, utterly fantastic. It's Last Ninja, they the... What perspective are the last Ninja games played in? It's isometric. It's like head it's and heels. Or, it's isometric, right? right? I, I think, yeah, because I, I remember vaguely remember playing them on the Amiga and finding them quite clunky. You're not um, thinking of Sword of Honor, are you? A point-and-click Ninja game? Um, yeah, maybe. I, may, I Maybe. That had big arrows at the side of the screen and stuff. Didn't oh, well, yeah, that was that was not well thought out. Um what was the, there was one other thing I was going to say about this. Yeah, what struck me about this as well is some of my favourite tracks in this album are literally from loading screens on a Commodore 64. Loading screens. So you've got some of the best music on a generation of consoles when you're probably like buggering off to make a cup of tea. It's astonishing. I was just astonished as I was listening to it, and I listened to it a lot. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so, okay, I'm going to go on and talk about another of my favorites from last year on switch which is super mario 3d world some would say that super mario 3d world was a game that's actually released in like 2013 on the wii u on the wii u and they'd be correct because it was but it's now being re-released um on switch with an expansion called bowser's fury and uh, well the reason this is on my list is because Super Mario 3D World doesn't get the love it deserves, in my opinion. It's my favourite Mario game of any kind. This is the game that sort of saved your gaming career, isn't it? It did, actually, yeah. because I was so... Where was it? It must have been PS3 era, and I was so kind of burned out on really dreary 
like um, 30 FPS, 30 FPS cinematic style, like Last of Us and stuff like that. And it's like, which are impressive, but my God, they're dreary. And I just thought, I'm just, is, is this, is this what gaming is now? Are they kind of, is it going to be like pseudo cinematic experiences with an odd bit of slightly slow gameplay? And then I took a punt on a Wii U and Super Mario 3D World and I just thought, I just fell in love with gaming again. And it's, it's because it's, obviously it's extremely joyful anyway, because that's, um, that's the way Mario is and that's the way Nintendo are. But it's also unbelievably well designed like it's the most precise game design ever and part of the reason for that is because it's not an open world mario game in the way that odyssey is odyssey is amazing in itself but personally i love the fact that this a game like 3d world is so kind of laser guided kind of gameplay it's there's no it's not about exploration it's about just a constant barrage of ideas and i think i'll be playing it forever i'm pretty sure i could quite happily go back and play through it all again now this and it's so it's still as good as ever and it will always be as good as ever the this has this expansion called bowser's fury in it as well uh which i'd say is okay i don't think it's really that much of a selling point but obviously they thought it was a selling point but anyway for some reason this is 30 fps the bowser's fury part which is a bit disappointing because it, it i guess it's because it's more of an open world thing right but then super mario, uh, super mario odyssey was open world as well and that was 60 fps so not quite clear why it could be because it's like a huge almost like an arena type thing the idea behind it is that um you're kind of collecting stuff and jumping around and solving mini puzzles um, whilst periodically um, this enormous cat Bowser or I don't know, is he a cat? Probably a cat. Can't remember. Anyway, he breathes fire. So he'll, he'll just suddenly leap out of the uh, leap out of the ground and start like breathing, breathing fire and raining fire down on you. So you kind of got to, get behind cover so each time he emerges and then run around and do all your stuff between his um between his attacks yeah and it's fun enough i guess but again it's it's kind of going back to the open world design i feel like i'd rather just had more levels for super mario 3d world um but that's a personal thing about the open world style so uh, you know it's it's not it's particularly long or anything bowser's fury it's just a nice little addition so I wouldn't say it's if you if you weren't bothered with Super Mario 3D World first time around, then uh, this isn't really much of a selling point. I wouldn't say, but this Super Mario 3D World is now, other than the Wii U, is the only way you can play the game. So I would recommend anyone who hasn't played it absolutely play this game because it's wonderful. I think all of the main Mario series, um, that especially when it, come, when it comes to 2D or these 3D, 3D but linear um, games, there's just such a, a level of like genre-defining quality to them that if you like those sorts of games, and unless you just like darker imagery, you, yes. you, there's there's something there, and I and I, I look forward to revisiting them all, and that's why you can go back to 
you know, even the games on the original NES and still get a lot out of them because yeah. they're constantly at the, the, the top of their game. So, yeah, I think these these are games that would... It'd be interesting, actually, one day to, I don't know, do like a, a charity thing and just go through as many Mario games as you can in like a weekend or whatever because yeah, be they'll, they'll, they'll all hold up. They'll all, you know, yeah. be fine. It's quite, and especially when it comes to stuff like, you know, back on the NES, it's like there's very few games from that era which really do hold up. I look like, at I you, think, buy you Billy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think 16-bit era onward, you're pretty, you're okay. You're like, they're pretty I don't know, but I've played Heavy Nova. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it's any anything before that, it's it can be a challenge. Like, yeah, I, I won't be forcing my son to, you know, play... Um, play any of these games on the well, the original metroid without a guide on um yeah. nes or let them just like grapple with a parser and return to zork yeah <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. welsh is his first language um well my my next one then is um is again it's a game but it, it's, it's more about it was a, an interesting a journey for me because there's a there's a company in the czech republic called amanita design and they've previously released Machinarium, which is one of my favorite point-and-click games. And I find it really affecting because I, I'm a bit of a sucker for games like that and Pikuniku, which do this sort of um, charming, uh, not that Pikuniku is wordless, but um, this sort of uh, wordless word, world building. I find it really, yeah. really, really beautiful. I, like, and, I did like Machin- Machinarium. Machinarium? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear imagine him. Yeah, whichever. But um, yeah, so I, I loved that, and then I kind of forgot about Amanita Design, and I got sent Creeks to review, and I was playing it, and uh, it's this really beautiful art and music style tied to quite a simplistic puzzle game of just, um, it's a two D game where you're just a, a dude walking along, and you've you've got to uh, use uh, light switches uh, to turn on. Uh, to turn lights on and and block what look like everyday household items sort of twisted into an almost rolled dalish um sort of style of monster that you 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 um they become complacent whenever you t- you shine lights on them and it's just this really simple idea as you move through this underground rickety house and the game is fantastic and i i really liked that it was just such a rich aesthetic tied to such simplistic gameplay and i scored it really enjoyed the game and then I, I was thinking about the music and I thought the music was actually re- really funky. And I ended up watching this um, documentary uh, on Hidden Orchestra, a British musician called Joe Atchison, who's got an extremely relaxing voice, who d- was behind the music. Mm. And he did it. And he in, in, and what he did was he created instrumentation that matched this sort of the areas of the game. So at the start, when you're in, the, and it's all like this library of dusty books and everything's all ramshackle and wobbling and, and uh, you know, uh, tumbling around you. You, it's all homemade instruments and um, quite percussion heavy. And then as you go throughout into the the laboratories and stuff in the game, it becomes more modern and, and uh, synth driven. And they released a vinyl, which is one of my favorite albums. And I keep listening, I've listened to it even, I listened to it actually um, a few days ago. And it's just this really beautiful um, double vinyl again with the artwork. And then a few months later, um, they released an art book. And it again kind of renewed my love for just not the game, but it, it made me realize with the game, the vinyl and the art book as a sort of holy trinity, they're so well put together and there's so much information in them, especially in the art book, which is which is written by the um, 
the des- the game designer and the artist behind the game and there's so much in there and you realize just how much like almost a decade's worth of work goes into this seemingly simplistic little indie game you know mm. that had such an impact and and it made me just it, it gave me a real respect and a newfound view on just how much goes in, into these games how much absolute oh, love thought. and adoration yeah, yeah. yeah thought goes into them just um there's just there's a really it's summed up weirdly in a little part from in the art book and it's just a double page spread and it's just very very slightly different takes on the creeks font that was going to be on the title page and it must have been done about 60 70 times and i'm just thinking that's just a word that i look at and press start and yet someone has put all this effort in just this this one simple thing and yeah it kind of hammered it home for me and it, it it made me realize how much goes into you know even the most simplistic little indie games so that that was a that was a big part of the year for me and that's creeks and the art book and vine that are available from the amanita design store i do have a weird fascination with like those sorts of stories about uh, like uh, when you get in art books uh especially video game art like the kind of stories behind them i have this atari art book this huge massive doorstop of a tome uh, which goes through like all the posters from the Atari era. Um, you know, those like kind of like almost watercolor paintings that used to have. Yeah, which do not represent the game within. <laughs> yeah. And um, but it was fascinating. Like so, and just looking at some of the rejected designs and stuff, it's just so fascinating. The amount of like, I mean, they're works of art. It's amazing, really. Like they're, they're proper paintings that could be framed and and they're just like discarded. Oh, no, that, you know, the because I don't know, someone in the image is uh, at the slightly wrong level to catch the 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 user's eye and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, that's gone then. And that's sort of art that's never going to be seen by anyone. It's, it's, it is fascinating. Um, okay. before, you, before you move on from that, there was um, yeah. just something I wanted to say about that, because I'm, I'm reading this book by Bitmap Books, this Gremlin, The History of Gremlin. And I forget his name now. I think it's David something, David Rowe, R-O-W-E, who um, did did a lot of um, artwork for Gremlin in the in the mid to late eighties. And there's a they you know like they had um, what's it called? Um, Is this Gremlin Graphics? Gremlin Graphics, yeah. yeah. They did like yeah, I'll be Monty and stuff. Um, thinking of Spring as well. Um, who did uh, what was it called? Band Aid. Well, they did this thing in the eighties. I didn't hear about this called Soft Aid. Um, and it was uh, the guy, I think Ian Stewart, who ran Gremlin at the time, got um, a load of, you know, game. Like, it was like a for five pound a compilation and the money goes to charity kind of thing. And David wrote the artwork and there's this beautiful full page spread in the book of it. And it's just really, really harrowing because it's it's um, you could probably do it now. If, if you type in David Rowe uh, soft aid cover. Um, and you'll see what I mean. And it's just, I was looking at this full page image and I got like a little bit overwhelmed because I thought, again, this is this is artwork from a 1986 <laughs> charity gaming cassette. And yet I'm like, I'm still like 30 years on just being really affected by the, um, by the artwork. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so full on. Um, um, it's, I don't know if you can, I'm sorry, I can't really. If you can describe it, I'm trying to sort of get it up now. As I, uh... So it's, well, it's like a sort of African desert with a tree in the background. And like there's this emaciated 
well, pa- parent, you can't tell if it's a man or a woman, like cradling a like a skeletal child sitting on the sand. It's full on, that is. Yeah. And and again, you just, you you kind of forget, it's so easy to dismiss these things, like artwork mm. and, you know, things that you say never see the light of day, and they can have such an impact. And there's definitely something about... Uh, about video game art that needs to be like I'd happily have a book on it you know just 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 yeah. really drinking in every image yeah I, I mean I that Atari book I was just absolutely you know besotted with it, it like it's just it's like some of the some of the quality of the art is just beautiful but anyway did not translate into the graphics in the games unfortunately um Metroid Dread was another game that was released in 2021 yeah. And um, I mean, talking about precise design, whew, this is a good one. Yeah, so it feels like it's like Nintendo saw all these Metroidvanias out there and thought to themselves, "Let Grandpa show you how it's done." <laughs> and um, and because this is like the first proper Metroid game, well, since. Game Boy Advance. I mean, it's got to be pretty much twenty years, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's a gorgeous game. It, the difficulty curve is perfect, by the way. In this game, I mean, some people say it's some people say it's too hard. I'm not sure about that. It's it's fair. I mean, it's not like it's it's hard, but not tedious like um, Hollow Knight, for example, which I've mentioned before. Um, it's got this wonderful atmosphere it's recaptured that excellent kind of like loneliness that the original metroid games had um and the kind of slightly weird cosmic like 80s sci-fi cosmic atmosphere that of odd alien noises everywhere and um i'm not sure what the story is but basically it's another planet and another threat um so the twist in this game is that there are sections of this facility um which is huge sprawling place there are sections of it where you are in danger because you're you're being hunted by these robots and if they catch you then it's an insta death which sounds tedious but actually it's really really tense and and anyway if you die like i said it's a fair game so if you die you're just put back to the doorway anyway so it's no biggie it's not it's not like you've having to backtrack another 30 minutes or whatever so it's just really cool really tense um it's perfect length it's probably maybe eight to ten hours i'd say possibly it's very replayable um you know to get all this stuff it finds that beautiful balance which is so hard to capture in metroidvania type games where you want a sense that you're kind of lost but not to the extent that it becomes like, right, I have to get to it. I have to find a guide, you know, just to find my way out of this. Like mm. it's, it's, it's intuitively designed so that you kind of always have a sense of where to go next. Um, it's a full price game, um, which most Metroidvania fans probably wouldn't be used to these days because, you know, we've got so many, especially double A titles in that, in that kind of genre. Stuff like I've played or, Shadow or in, Complex, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or in the Blind Forest, or in Will of the Wisps and Hollow Knight stuff like that. But then, the way I see it is, I would pay full price for those games because so, they are worth 
more money than they cost. So I've no problem paying full price for this. It's a it's a great game, and it's um yeah, and it's yeah. one of the best Metroidvanias I've played. I'm pretty sure that like Faye was just a husk of tears by the time that Ori and the Will of the Wisp had finished the introduction sequence. It's such a beautiful game. <laughs> but, uh, it's such a beautiful game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If no one's, if, if someone hasn't played Ori for some reason, then yes, both of the both of the games. I found the hard, you, second one harder to get into, I must say. But my, once my, it got, I was well into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think my problem with the um, Metroidvanias is I like them to be I like them to be like um under definitely under eight hours long to complete because. What I find is that because of the way I play games these days, I bounce around so much that I've been burned with a few Metroidvanias where you go away from them and come back and think, oh, I'm totally lost I now. No I can't get this back up. Yeah. So, yeah. but but that's just that's just you know my my fault. Um, well, I'll I'm gonna sorry I'm gonna burp actually. I'll keep the um the cl- the classic thing going because my my next uh, it's two and one really. Um, I occasionally get the chance to review games that have been released on classic consoles. And in 2021, I, I played a few games. I played Papi Commando and, and a few others that, that, that came through. Um, but the, the two that I'm, I'm going to lump together here just for just for to keep things flowing along. And that was Demons of Astaborg on the Mega Drive and Intrepid Izzy on the Dreamcast. I think that's also available on Steam. I dare say it'll be ported to Switch as well soon. Um, and Demons of Astaborg is made by a French company called Neofid. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's released for the Mega Drive, and it's it it is if it was released in 1995, it would have been heralded as just one of easily one of the best um, action RPGs on the Mega Drive, uh, mm. the two 2D sort of platformer RPGs, and it would have just been heralded as a total classic. Released in 2021, still a total classic. <laughs> um, you it, it really is. You you play as a, a character called Gareth, uh, naturally. And it's 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 a game of it's it's ostensibly sort of a 2D platformer with um, combat elements in which you you're just taking down a typical uh, bad guy. And but the, the the twist is that as the levels go on, the the levels are sort of bite-sized chunks with huge boss fights. The boss fights are a little bit grindy, but the way that you you have um because obviously the Mega Drive's got a three button pad, it's like you've got you know your jump attack and then there's a sort of a, a cast spell button, and the the spell you can cast changes on each level, and they and it uh sort of shifts the way you proceed. So for example, mm-hmm. in one you can burn you can burn through a certain material. So then the level and the puzzles are built around that. And then one, you can have maybe a shield that lasts for half a second. So the puzzles are based around that. So I'm going to cough for a sec. And playing this game now, like I played it on Mega Drive hardware. And like the beautiful laser parallax scrolling, the fact that it is a pitch perfect 60 FPS. And the mm-hmm. fact that the, the, the music is so rousing and you've got these boss fights and the fact that it's all um, tied together in this, this classic narrative and the sprites are so chunky with no flickering or slowdown. I just felt like, oh, this is, I'm, you know, it's like the the Mega Drive is one of my favorite consoles. And I said, oh, this is my baby, like top flight. This is what she was made for. And it it really does. It's a beautiful way to revisit the Mega Drive and, and just think this is, you know, the the Sega Mega Drive at its absolute peak, creaming up these amazing uh, 16 bit games. And uh, yes, it called again. Uh, Demons of Astaborg, A-S-T-E-B-O-R-G, 
uh, it's available on the Mega Drive, and I'm pretty sure it's on Steam, and, and I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be ported around. I think it's going to be an exclusive for a year, and then ported around the consoles. And it's definitely it would stand up. It, it's obviously very dated in terms of its um its aesthetics and the, and the 16-bit limitations, but it would absolutely stand up to um to being played on on other systems. But those some of the bosses are really grindy, so uh, it is a little bit of a can be a little bit of a, a bullet sponge there. Well, a sword sponge. It is um, indeed on Steam. On Steam. Yeah. And the second one is um, Intrepid Izzy, which was a game I got sent from uh, Wave Studios, and it was created by a developer called Senile Team, who I don't know if you remember this. In the 90s, they did Beats of Rage. And I, I Rush, remember that, yeah. Beats of Rage and Rush Rush Rally Racing, uh, which they which Wave Studios have again just re-released. And... Um, I got yeah, got chatting with with them. I interviewed the CNL team and they were awesome. And got chatting with Wave Studios, the publishers who were, who were based in I think it's like Norwich or it's Norfolk or something. And just the game is uh, Intrepid is just a really solid uh, 64-bit 2D RPG game. Again, a Metroidvania, which is what, what tied it in nicely to Metroid Dread. Um, and it's just really big, colorful visuals and going around and, you know, you, you'll go through a temple and you'll you, it's got these really beautiful controls where you've only got it's like jump and attack. But the attack button is tied with the direction button. So you've got, you know, like an uppercut, a slide kick, and it feels oddly comboy considering it's a platformer. So um, it really tasty controls. If only it was mm-hmm. on a different pad, not the Dreamcast pad, second only in awfulness to the N64 pad. Um and yeah, you, you're going through it, and yeah, there's, there's a hub town, and you can take off in a couple of different directions, and basically head in that direction until you you get blocked by something, and you're like, right, I'm gonna have to go and get another item from somewhere else, blah blah blah. All really good fun, but what really sold me on this uh, was there's there's a hub, I think it's called Awesome Town, the main hub town, quite close to the start after the sort of tutorial, and I sort of flew through it because I had full health. I saved my game and potted off, and about four hours later, I came back and I thought, oh, do you know what? I haven't explored that hub town yet. And I found up some steps, an in-game arcade, and it's got three arcade games that you can play as mini games and try to beat the high oh. scores. That is something that sucks me off from behind in games. And I thought, yes. <laughs> I, I love that. it in games when that happens. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And paradoxically, it's so crushingly disappointing when you can't do it. When you see an arcade machine in a game and you can't play it. Yeah. Or it's you stream arcade machine in a game and you can't beat the high score. I look at you, tourist. So, but yeah, this has tourist, got like yeah. um, this has got three games. There. And game. this is definitely available on Steam, and I think it's being ported out across consoles. And again, it's always nice to like. I, I'm lucky in in doing stuff for Games Freezer that I get to chat to these people, and it's so nice when you play like a great game that's clearly been created with love. And there's not, you know, it's not going to be a huge amount of money in making games for these old systems. It's purely done out of passion, and and then you play them and they're fantastic and the people behind them are great. And I just it just gives me a warm feeling to talk about them. Mm. Uh, and yet Intrepid Izzy is, is just a really solid Metroidvania, really beautiful, chunky visuals of like bubbly music. And uh, I'm glad I get to play them and you should as well. Demons of Astaborg is also on Switch. Oh, really? And it's on it Switch now? also on my wish, wish list. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, so Intrepid Izzy... As well, is it Izzy with a Y? I double Z Y, yeah. So you know, yeah, that's not on Switch. Okay, okay, no problem. Good stuff. Um, I will move across to the Xbox then. Um, 
I love how this is completely split into like you discussing really, really like small, like, like <laughs> handcrafted games from these tiny developers, and I'm just talking about massive releases from the biggest multinational <laughs> companies. But next one, but the, the next one is uh, a smaller little indie title called Halo Infinite. Um, don't worry. Yeah, the, Halo Infinite is. Uh, a game <laughs> that was released last year um, and I haven't played a Halo game since Halo 3 that was a long time ago that was Halo 2 for me was the last one I played <laughs> yeah I think Halo 3 was like 2007 I think the reason I remember that is because 2007 was a weirdly amazing year for games um, you're going to mention Bioshock aren't you Bioshock was there Mass Effect started then as well um, I think Call of Duty Modern Warfare as well started, it was that year so pretty good yeah um yeah so i yeah i haven't played a game one of these games since three so i don't really know what's going on in the story and i don't really care but the characters are fun in this game there's three main characters really there's obviously master chief uh you i like the fact that you have a voice in this game and you actually speak because it's a real bugbear of mine in games and so many of them do this where the protagonist just doesn't speak at all and it's like People are talking to him and, you know, got all these interesting characters around them, all these with all these colourful stories. And your guy is just standing there, not saying anything. And sometimes they even in games, they'll even like make reference to other characters. They say, oh, you don't say much, do you? And it's like, well, I could if the programmers are bothered. For some reason, they've decided not to give me a voice. Anyway, Master Chief does have a voice and he's quite amusingly like gruff and uh, sardonic. And the... The kind of AI lady that you've got literally in the palm of your hand, um, who's called the weapon. She's funny and sarcastic, so that's good. And then you've got this third char- main character who's this uh, like Hispanic pilot guy who's just constantly panicking, which I find amusing. So they're quite fun characters. Um, so basically, yes, it's a Halo game. And this is but this one is more of an open world thing. Um, previous Halo games tended to be fairly linear. They used to, it would be like you're moving from one arena to the next, effectively, um, taking out the bad guys and then moving on with, you know, terrestrial weapons, but also alien weapons and stuff. This is very much open world, so you can go anywhere. Although in reality, you are just moving between combat encounters, really, uh, and trying to take out icons on the map um, in classic Ubisoft style. Um, you've uh, you've got this grappling hook. Um, and actually, you've got a few power-ups that you can use, a few specials that you can use and um, upgrade as well. But I don't know why anyone would not just use the grappling hook all the time because it's so much fun. Because you just, once you get used to it, um, it's just really versatile. And you can use it, obviously, to just grapple up ridiculous, like, sheer cliffs. But also, what you can do is use it to dash around the combat zones so and like sweep around corners and things like that it's really fun so that that's really cool it it looks lovely the game uh it feels lovely it's obviously running at 60 fps i think on xbox series x it runs at 120 in fact if you've got such a tv that can handle that and crt mate crt (laughs) and the online mode has bots so therefore it's better than all other multiplayer games and um, so there you go 
and that, that's quite fun actually. I played a bit of the on uh, the multiplayer online um, against bots and stuff, and it's it's a good laugh. So yeah, I I'd say in terms of the open world part, I mean it's not exactly the richest open world ever, but it's not really it's a shooting game at the end of the day. You're not really there to have deep kind of side quests and stuff. You're really just going around happening upon um, amusing aliens who are scurrying about saying odd stuff to each other. Some of the stuff they say to each other is preposterous. It's quite amusing just to stand around and listen to them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good. And it was quite an engaging story, even though I didn't understand any of it. Uh, so yeah, fun game. Halo Infinite. I feel like Halo Infinite is going to be... Obviously, I don't really do co-op stuff, but I think it's going to be a game that I just fall back on at some point um, mm-hmm. when I've got like a day to myself and I've got nothing else. Because it's on Game Pass and will obviously yeah. always be on Game Pass that I'll just play it at some point. It's so mindlessly fun. Uh, yeah, it's not a revolution in anything. I mean, I suppose it's a revolution in terms of Halo because it's differently structured to the previous Halo games, but compared to your average far cry or something like that it's not really particularly different it's nothing new but a lot of fun i played a game called pecaminosa um uh, uh, back i think last like may or june and um this is I, i'm looking for it now it's a game created by a, some, a group of developers what is that i don't know if you'd even know this it's it's a it's an island um, off the coast of Portugal. <laughs> uh, um, oh, I, I, Africa? I, no. <laughs> I'm trying to see it now in my review. Anyway, um, so I read this game. I, I give it a 7 out of 10. And, and Picaminosa is, you play, um, it's a, like a typical burned out detective story, top down. It felt very Amiga-ish, which is what drew me to it and why I asked to get a copy sent to me to cover and it starts off, you play a guy called, um, I think his, his name is John something, and he's a burned out private eye, and he's in this um, in this city, and there's lots of smooth jazz going on. And it's just him bumbling around doing a few quests and uh, taking down the, the local gangsters and so on, and there's a slight uh, uh, supernatural twist to things. And the first half of the game, I was completely on board with. And then the latter half of the game, it becomes very... Uh, it, it, the, the whole um, length of the game is artificially extended and it just becomes very repetitive, very shooty-shooty, bang-bang, and it loses all of the sort of silly fun of the first half. So I reviewed the game and then uh, thought, yeah, I, I like the aesthetic, I like the fact that it reminded me of an Amiga, and like it could, you can imagine it would be made on an A1200, um, but didn't really do it for me. And then, uh, about two or three months later, I got an email saying, oh, we're actually the... the people behind the game are also part of a jazz band and they're doing like a live version of the soundtrack and i thought well mm. i'll watch that one i so in in the game the, the the drink you have all the time is called mac daniels so i bought a bottle of jack daniels and i thought well I'll watch a jazz concert and it is absolutely amazing and it pisses over the game because of course in the game the, the jazz music is is a live band sort of thing but it's looped just because of the nature of the game but this is a full hour of all the music stretched out with like beautiful blues guitar um, it ends in this huge kind of Jim Carrey's, um, you know, Copacabana sort of ending. It's got a, like beautiful piano runs in it and um, some really tasty drum work. And the, the, I think the main designer is the drummer in this band. And 
I I would like to see a Pacaminosa 2, but what I really want is for that soundtrack to be released on vinyl. I literally still watch it once a month. If I've had a few <laughs> drinks and I like Faye's gone to bed early, I think I'm watching Pacaminosa because it's this beautifully dreamy, evocative jazz soundtrack. And even if you don't get around to playing the game, which is flawed, Pacamino, if you type in Pacaminosa Live, P-E-C-A-M i-n-o-s-a live on youtube and it is 53 minutes of solid gold and i urge you to listen to track three whiskey and cigarettes which starts off with a melodica good <laughs> sounds like you were enamored more with the yes that element of it than the actual game itself absolutely well the thing is i mean in the in the game of course because it's like looped and whatever i thought it's quite cool music but what i didn't realize it was this full fully fledged soundtrack and yeah i would i would I would rather them carry on doing these jazz concerts and releasing the music than, than the games, quite frankly, because it really is it really is tasty, smooth jazz. Um, Forza Horizon 5 is one of the better games it's, I played last year. Is that a tiny indie game made in, like, yes. Portugal? Yes, it was but, literally one person who made this. Um <laughs> Oh, it takes so long for one person to make that game. Uh, <laughs> he would be using recycled assets. Um, yeah. So, Forza Horizon 5. Again, it was another Game Pass jobby. Um, now, mo- modern racing games, as we know, I'm sure we've discussed this before, but they're very try-hard. They are, they're weird, like modern racing games, like when you play Dirt and stuff like that. They're, they're desperate to... They're not just desperate to be down with the kids and be really cool. I think it was was it Dirt Three, the one where you're not raising, you're not earning money, you're earning like likes, like social media likes. It's so, it's so desperate to be down with the kids in in such a like uncle at the disco kind of way. Anyway, um, yeah, and they're also, but not just that, but also they're so desperate to like cling on to your attention, like. Like we've all got ADHD or something, like just constantly throwing new experiences at you. Forza Horizon 5 is no different. It's it's very, very ADHD. But I'm okay with that. I mean, it means that you've just got a constant flow of stuff coming at you. Uh, this one is set in Mexico. I think the previous one was set in Britain, which I found a bit too close to home. But this one's set in Mexico. Utterly beautiful on Xbox Series X. Uh, I'm still not convinced that open world races are a good thing. I haven't been since Burnout Paradise. They're, they're, they're not. I'm going to help oh, you. Okay. okay, right, okay. And I, I wonder if this has got something to do with why it's designed the way it is, where every road you go down, this a new thing will pop up on the screen saying, oh, check this out, go and do this, go and... It's like, it's almost like a kind of tacit admission that actually open world racing racing games where you have to drive to the next event aren't that fun and you just really want to just jump straight to it um so they have to fill every bloody blade of grass with some new challenge or whatever but to be fair i mean they have filled it with new challenges and that so you know every road seems to have a new event or it'll have like a speed test or it'll have like a jump or something like that which is great and you can get these Obviously, you're unlocking cars. You're unlocking things constantly in this game, which is great. And I love the fact that you, what will happen is that you'll you'll unlock something and you are like a special kind of uh, loot box type thing. Um, and 
it'll like be, it'll be all dramatic drum roll sort of thing and then it'll open up and it could be like like a McLaren supercar or something like that which can go at like 280 miles an hour great or it can be like I, I don't know like a Robin Reliant or a Ford Mondeo or something brilliant amazing or it'll be like a Fiesta from 1982 good in brown and it's like <laughs> it, they're the things that you really want and then because of course when you go into the races it's so desperately user-friendly um that you can choose whatever kind of car you choose for the race because you can choose any car all of the other cars will be in that class as well so it's not like you go into a race and you want to you fancy having a go with a robin reliant or whatever and everyone else is going to have a supercar everyone else will be in equivalent you know they'll probably be in like minis or yeah yugos <laughs> yeah or nissan micro or something like that so it is kind of fair so you can have a genuinely fun race with them it's just little details like that which i enjoyed and yeah looks gorgeous and just very uh very playable and and because of its desperation to constantly entertain you and keep your attention it never gets boring so yeah great fun definitely worth it it, it, I, I totally I realized how disillusioned I've been with racing games for for a long time now, because with like you we mentioned around the PS3, a lot of racing games are 30 FPS, which is just unacceptable. And then with Burnout Paradise, they just became open world. And mm. I, ju- I just I found myself having to go further and further back to find racing games I enjoy. And then um, a couple of months ago, um, just discovered just, Super Hang On. <laughs> I'm going to get the soundtrack for that. It's released by Data Discs on vinyl, so I can listen to Outrider Crisis, Rupert. What a fucking song. Um, um, there's a, there was a guy, a developer, that just said, oh, you know, make his, on Twitter, it just someone shared it on my timeline, just, oh, I'm making some real headway now. And I watched this, like, 30-second video clip and thought, oh, this is up my Strasser, isn't it? And it is, uh, I think it's a, I think it's a, Japanese developer, like like a really small team, and they're just making a racing game set in with PS One era sort of pop polygonal graphics, mm-hmm. just about like Yugoslavian cars driving around a really depressing city and bouncing over potholes with the exhaust falling off. And I thought, oh, finally, a racing game <laughs> catered to my tastes. Um, so I'm, I'm really following this closely and really keen. And I hope it gets a console release. Um, and on that side as well, that they, they're also, I've, I've contacted Z Interactive and they've confirmed that Autobahn Police Simulator 3 is going to get a console release, which I'm really excited about. Um, this was I mentioned this in my games of the last year. I gave it a four out of ten, but it was still a game of the year because if you remember, this is the one where you you solve the first crime of who's chucking bricks down um, from bridges onto car windows and causing accidents by going to a petrol station and finding out what fags they smoke. That is my kind of crime solving. And apparently, this one starts off the demo for Autobahn Police Simulator Three starts off with you as a hardened um, Autobahn policeman having to get some cows off the road. Fantastic. So yeah, they, like the, the, they are the two racing games I'm looking forward to. The Forza developers really could learn from some of this. If the next one is like set in like uh, old Bucharest or something like that, and it's just constantly cobbled streets that you cut and you try and drive like a, a supercar on them and just they just break. So you have to drive some preposterous vehicle from yeah 
some preposterous Volvo or something like that before we break. That'd be amazing. They, they do need to make a, a racing game like a Forza. If they, like you said, if they all had like Nissan Micros and stuff like that, then so at the start, it's all the engines like revving and like really shuddering and some like you know corner, and then and then it's like three, two, one, go, and no one gets over the finish line, and it's people like winding down the windows without like without any electricity, just shouting out, "Find it, don't grind it," and oh, the choke's gone, I flooded the engine, and then people having like push it to get it going and stuff. That's what you really want. That's the kind it, of racing game yeah. that I would genuinely draw me to it. Um, no, just hoping you can get around the course. <laughs> uh, so my next, is, yeah, okay. the lack of, I must say, the lack of demolition derby type games, racing games bothers me. Apart from Wreckfest. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean Wreckfest is, is very good, but I feel that there's, there's still room for a premium kind of demolition type game. Like breakfast is good, but it feels it's it's tad janky at times. I think I need I need something with the production values of Forza, but where there's like it's all about smashing up other cars and stuff like that. And it'd be just uh, those racing games where yeah, getting to the end of the race is part of the challenge. Fun. That's yeah. what's really fun. Yeah, that's what's that's what's really fun. It, we, anyway, you haven't, we haven't really had anything like that, and I know it's the same developers in Bugbear, but like Flat Out Two was kind of like that, where the the crashes felt so heavy and dangerous yeah. and weighty that yeah, you genuinely didn't know if you were going to make it through the race. Um, see, so yeah, my next one is um, this was a, a bit of an odd one because I Mech Warrior Five, um, I I played Mech Warrior Five, and I gave it like a seven point five out of ten. I thought it was a really good game. I played it, and I was. I thought, well, I, I enjoyed that. It's really clunky mech combat, but it's a little bit repetitive. And I thought, you know, cool game, not really my thing. But that wasn't true, was it? Because I kept on thinking, oh, I'll do another mission. And I ended up playing it on and off for like four months, just going back and forth and just like really souping up my mechs. And I realized that I was, I found it quite hypnotic, this really clunky or weighty mech combat and just finding these like, you know, where you're firing like, salvos of 30 missiles miles away and just taking out a mech in one blast it was like almost orgasmic by the end of it and uh yeah and the only thing that really slowed me down was just like the i would i would do like a series of missions and all these all the dlcs and expansions and then i would hit this this mission where it's like oh you need like a you've got a 120 ton mech that's effectively made out of like superman's ball bag that can't be touched <laughs> And then they'd say, but now you need a little 510 Mac to do a stealth mission. And I would just stop. And it got to the point where I kind of hit my limit with all these, all the main quests, because they were all stealth or bits I didn't want to do, like mm. escort missions. And then my, my interest ebbed away. But Peter ebbed and away. But yeah, I just, I did really keep going back to MechWarrior 5. And of course, it does help that Elias Tufexist is one of the voices in it as well. But um, I was really surprised. And I, I look back on MechWarrior 5 now really fondly. And I think, mm. oh, oh, okay, I didn't really finish the main quest. Not that I was there to follow the narrative anyway. But I certainly got like my money's worth out of out of the enjoyment uh, of, of like dozens and dozens of hours of some of the best mech combat since Earth Siege 2 in 1995 and Windows 95 so or even I, crazy uh, Ivan <laughs> crazy which you can finish in under 20 minutes on the Vegas <laughs> um, um but yeah was so part of the appeal for you in a way was just the sheer surprise of actually enjoying it that much in the first place well yeah because I was playing it and I thought oh this is you know you get your 
you start off, you have your mech, you get a little squad together, and it's like a defender's base. Take out this one mech, or walk across there and you know find this thing in the bunker. And it's all the the world is like pretty lifeless apart from the other mechs. So like nothing really moves. It's all like it's going to be forest or it's going to be lava. And it was all pretty like cut and dried. But I just found myself kind of pushing that to one side and instead getting lost in like the menus and the customization side of it. Mm. And when I when I when I clicked my mind over to that, I thought actually I'm really enjoying just like tinkering with the perfect setup and getting the perfect wingman and how how to control them in the field and trying to balance, you know, how how to get out of a fight without getting any damage so I get more of a bonus and then I can buy that even bigger mech. And yeah, I got I got lost in that side of it for a few months. So I was very surprised. Again, there's a huge online aspect uh, and community to this that I, I will miss out on. But um, even as a single player event, it, 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 it's something you can get lost in. And it, it coincided with me getting some really tasty headphones and they were just like earth shakingly glorious when it came to explosions and combat. Brilliant. That's on Game Pass as well, isn't it? Was it? It, it yeah, it's, I think yeah. it still is, yeah. Nice. Also on Game Pass is a game called Hades, which is an older game. I say older, it's like two years old, but it came out on Xbox in twenty twenty one, straight on the Game Pass, good. Uh and I just played the hell out of it again, basically, because it's still amazing. It's still so replayable unbelievably well balanced it's a like a what do they call it a roguelite it's where the idea is is that you are this um uh son of a god and you're surrounded by gods actually uh in the underworld and you're trying to fight your way out to get to your mother on the surface and so you fight through rooms uh full of enemies and you collect weapons and power-ups and stuff and you kind of and you've got some control over which weapons you choose and which power-ups you you select and you create a kind of build if you like which will ultimately you'll be able to beat the hell out of your dad who's the final boss and and the idea is is that you you can obviously go through and then uh collect certain amount of currency of various forms to give yourself permanent boosts so make it uh well to make it yourself more capable of getting to the getting to the end um and each time you're going to restart you you uncover a bit more of the story and you befriend a new character or whatever it's amazingly good at drip feeding you um more kind of story stuff and also more characterization and unlocking new rooms and stuff in in the hub world so that's all cool and um but it's just the gameplay which is just so well refined it's so much fun chaining combos together and beating the hell out of people it's sort of isometric um pixel art and it's from um supergiant who who's out but i've not been particularly enamored with up to this point they made stuff like bastion and transistor who where i I like the style but they just weren't fun games for me um but this is a whole different story and yeah it's got this really wry humor it's got amazing action um i i don't even like these roguelike games where like you're meant to replay them over and over again i mean like even dead cells didn't really do it for me but 
this really broke through that prejudice and the only problem now is is that a pro- because this is so good and it did break that uh that particular preference of mine um i don't think i'm gonna be i don't think anything else is gonna really come close to it because it's like this is the exception that proves the rule really for me so it's hades and it's well good and very very addictive so highly recommended the next thing for me is is a book because there's um i don't know if you're familiar with them um it's a company called bitmap books that have released a lot of different things over the years that um they've done like point and click compendium and a game by art guides and stuff and last year i was sent the um bitmap books uh guide to jrpgs and this is this was like a tome that was i think it was almost a thousand pages long and it, it it pretty much has articles on if not every single jrpg ever released uh at least it'll it'll reference like a few games from a certain series for example like every mm. i'm pretty sure that like everything apart from the the most kind of um you know most indie steam indie rpg isn't in there and i was reading it and i just it just struck me how much of an achievement it was in it not just in terms of um in terms of the content but the editorial because it was written by i think 50 or 60 different uh writers at adding their articles and thoughts on different different series and so on but it was edited so tightly that it all felt really cohesive and i was reading through it and thinking this is i mean they, they're coming out with one in february called go uh, go straight which is going to be the same thing for 2d beat-em-ups which I will, I will own Rupert. <laughs> I will own that. <laughs> um, yes, you will, yes. But, but um, yeah, but, but I was reading it and I thought this is so. It was such a beautiful, uh, such a beautiful thing. I ended up getting it for my, um, for my brother because he he literally is like the, the resident games freezer um, expert on on JRPGs, and I was I thought that is such an achievement. I can't really imagine how they would they would sort of best it, and then. Uh, it, it still sort of counts as 2021 because I got sent it just before Christmas. It's um, something we've talked about either at the start of this podcast or offline, um, a gremlin in the works, a story uh, of, of just gremlin, uh, how they went from gremlin graphics to gremlin interactive and part of Activision with all the actual soccer and actual golf stuff and, and so on up to 2003. I think they were bought out then by infograms. And I didn't realize uh, it, it, to, I thought, well, this is obviously probably going to be a bit of a lesser book than this compendium to JRPGs because that was such an achievement. But how this 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 book takes shape is it's just through a series of interviews going from like and it's in chronological to from like the, you know 1982 sort of onwards, and it it's actually really beautiful because it goes back to the absolute birth of the industry, but in a in a very um, eight bit homespun British way where you're just looking at like a load of coders mm. in their bedrooms meeting up in your shops in Sheffield and, you know, getting games together and, and talking about it. And it's really, really endearing and really, um, it feels quite sort of small time in, in, in how these deals are made and how the games are created. And there's, it's, it's full of a lot of very beautiful little moments um, that feel really ground level. And I, I, I said I'm reading it every it's again because it's bitmap. They're not shy with the quality and quantity of things. It's about 750 pages long, but I'm reading it like in the in the bathroom. I'm reading it like when I'm waiting for things to my work PC to boot up in the morning. I'm reading it before I go to bed. It's just 
really Moorish, and it, and again, it's just down to Mark Ar- um, Hardestry who's who's written it. But this extremely tight editing, and um, mm. and oh, this was the one with David Rowe with the um, soft aid uh, yes. covering it. That's that's where I've mentioned it earlier on. And yeah, it basically, bit my books just continue to churn up these amazing uh, books. And and regardless of what sort of genre of, of gaming you're into, you will find something there that, that grabs your eye. And a Gremlin in the Works is, um, for me, is just been an absolute revelation. I'm, I'm, you know, I should have probably put up the article a while ago, but I can't stop reading it. <laughs> it's like lost in just syndrome. So, okay, I get the gist of how this is gonna go. I could review it and talk about it, but I'm too busy enjoying it to do that. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> maybe uh, that should be a review. I'm just, yeah. I can't review this game because I'm too busy enjoying it. Make of that what you will. Yeah, ten out of ten. So, um, yeah, Bitmap Books, the uh, JRPG, a uh, guide to JRPGs, and Bitmap Books, a Gremlin in the Works. Uh, two very different but very beautiful books. Um. Does the JRPG one, does that shed any light on some of the ridiculous names that JRPGs have? Shin Megami Tensei, Devil Summoner. Shin Megami Tensei, Digital Devil Saga 2, the remote control in the ether. And you're like, ah. V2, semicolon, (laughs) part three. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what all that is about. It would be interesting actually to find out what, um, but no, it, it doesn't. It just says you know the alternate titles in different regions. But um, yeah, it is Which funny when they talk. Many. They, they talk about something like I don't know called Black Claw, and they're like, yeah, this was released for the PC Engine two in 1986, and it doesn't really add much to the genre to be honest. Yeah, I, okay, <laughs> next. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I have to invest in more gaming books because there's something really gorgeous about them. Because it's, I, I mean, I know you can go back and play a lot of uh, these games, but this, uh, which is fine, that's its own nostalgia. Uh, and some of them even hold up quite well. Um, but there's something about like a really beautifully presented tome, uh, yeah. which it, it gives it a kind of, gives that, those games and the whole culture around it are kind of reverence that you can't really capture in any other way i suppose it's the way it's presented and and taken seriously in a way no with with the gremlin just again you, you like i was taking the piss learn about like monday on the run and stuff which is one of the biggest sellers in the 80s for gremlin but then you know those things where someone will mention a game or, or a, they'll mention a, a programmer that's out of the industry now but worked on it in the 80s and you read up about them see what else they did and then you kind of get lost in a little rabbit hole and you think actually i love this I, I love reading about these things and i love that this was such a small kind of cottage industry at one point and I, I, I love that these people now, these millionaires are looking back on this like 30, 40 year career and just looks still with really fond memories of the early days. There's just something mm. really, again, wholesome about it and fun. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm with you. I, I do think that um, some of these books and then you get the coffee table books like the JRPG stuff where, again, you yeah, it's just nice to get lost in something and an appreciation you, to, to strip you back to just. And a, just a general appreciation of the medium that you sometimes take for granted. Yes. On a low level. You call it a coffee table book because it's the size of a coffee table? Sorry, I was just uh, on Amazon buying a gun to blow my brains out. <laughs> um, 
Right. I'm going to whiz. I'm looking at the time. I'm going to whiz through my honourable mentions, if that's OK. Of course. Because uh, I don't have a huge amount to say about them, but I, they are worth mentioning. Um, on Switch, Astro Aqua Kitty. This is a sequel to Aqua Kitty, obviously. Aqua Kitty was uh, a wonderful um, shooter um, in the kind of Defender style gameplay where it's like a kind of constantly scrolling horizontal loop basically where you're, oh, yeah. de- you're defending stuff it's very much defender but it's set underwater and obviously you're a cat controlling a, a spaceship shooting stuff and it's really just um controlling the environment and kind of prioritizing what to shoot first sort of thing so you can clear the level really fun really simple now astro aquacity is the sequel and They've opened it up into a kind of more of a... It's the same kind of side-on shooter gameplay, um, but it's more open-worldy, almost like a Metroidvania, really. Like, you open up a bit over here, um, get some new skill that you can go and open up another bit. Uh, it's, in doing this, it does lose some of its clarity, um, but it's still highly enjoyable, and it's like a... It's almost like a bullet hell shooter, but with the hell part taken out really it's just really uh really enjoyable and very charming lovely pixel art um also on switch is a game called death's door which is you should probably find on a few top 10 lists from certain publications it's, it's coming to game pass soon isn't it yeah it's um I, I would say it's slightly overrated it's an isometric action game um where you uh, you played like a little crow, um, obviously, and the whole, all the kind of creatures all that you encounter are forms of crow and stuff. But then you go out into this. You actually w- play a little crow made out of clarified butter called Brandon Gee. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, and it's isometric, um, kind of fairly simplistic combat. Um, uh, it's not as like intricate as something like Hades, and uh, it's a, I found it a tad unresponsive. Um, no real reason for it to be 30 FPS on Switch. Don't know why it is, but there you go. It's very good humoured, and I'd say the challenge is about right. I I think it's fun and it's it's um kind of quite charming. I'd say it was recommended with a discount. I would say not great, but pretty good. Um, and definitely worth playing on Game Pass if it's coming to Game Pass. Uh, I'll mention as well, I think this was on Game Pass, this debut on Game Pass was The Ascent. I don't know if you played this. Yes, I did. Yes, this was a, a cyberpunk, beautiful cyberpunk-style Diablo-type game. Um, but of course, because it's like Diablo, then repetition sets in, sadly. But it is a gorgeous world to explore, and it's pretty fun. And, it, you know, it's a bit more, I'd say it's got a bit more intricacy than something like Diablo because it's got like, yeah. cover mechanics and stuff. Because I didn't um, just hammer one button for 12 hours. Exactly, or just avoid all the enemies. Um, so, yeah, I think that's worth a go. Um, uh, and I uh, finally, on my honourable mentions, I'll talk about briefly Mass Effect Legendary Edition. This is uh, the trilogy. Um, I bought this. 
a week before it came to Game Pass. So <laughs> it's perturbed me somewhat. But, but you know, I did hear a single clap about a month ago and then it, and then no more. It can't have been me because my hands haven't quite met yet. Um, it is obviously Bioware's epic space saga. And I finally got around to finishing the first one, um, which is still a bit clunky. I mean, they've made some improvements to smooth it out, but... Um, Tell me it involves the ammunition. Tell me it involves micromanaging the ammunition. Uh, there's still the micromanagement stuff, unfortunately, <laughs> which Yay. is very, very tedious. And um, I'd say the first one is pretty much, it's largely talking with a bit of action, really. The second one is so different. And, you know, all of that stuff with micromanaging um, armor and ammo and stuff is just totally gone now. Just taking that out totally, and it's and I'd say the second one is basically a an action shooter with the occasional talking, so it's almost reversed the first one. Um, the first one looks a bit clunky and chunky and not great, but the second one looks beautiful, and of course they're 60 FPS. And and I and what I like about the uh, well both games I, I've yet to go through the third one um it there's a bit of it reminded me a bit of witcher 3 insofar as it's balanced quite cleverly so you can if you race through the main missions it maintains a real sense of urgency throughout the game so you don't get that kind of like feeling that you know everyone's saying how urgent stuff is and yet the and Bioshock yet, Infinite effect. Yeah, yeah, and yet you're hanging around having a chat about something or exploring the world. It's like you can just blast through it and you get through it pretty quickly, and it, and or you can take your time and explore the world, which is fine. And and you know the lore is as good as any series of novels, really, and the characters are strong. So yeah, it's definitely recommended. I would say if you're new to Mass Effect and you don't have any particular fondness, fond memories of it, or just never played it before probably jump straight into number two because yeah, you get to play a little, yeah you get to the i think you do this little mini comic at the start which recaps the first one and you get to make the main choices throughout that so you can kind of craft your character um based on that so yeah i think unless you've got a particular hankering for the original jump straight to two um, I'm going to shift things around from sci-fi to horror now and talk about a game I played uh, on Xbox called Mundaun, um, M-U-N-D-A-U-N. And uh, I played this, uh, it must have been back, I would want to say back early in the last year, like April, May sort of time. And it is a game done in black and white, a first-person horror game, and set in the Swiss Alps, you play... Uh, a guy who goes back because his father's died just to sort of go back for the funeral and then and then to leave but you get dragged into this really eerily beautiful slow burning folkloric horror set in the mountains um all of the artwork is done through when you if you when you look at it it looks like just black and white monochrome but when you go up to things when you go up to like grass or uh the walls in some of the cabins you realize it's almost like scanned in pen and paper or pencil etchings the artist has done made by one guy and um i was so so sucked into this game it only takes about five or six hours to finish but it's one of those games that the horror just comes from the silence of it 
like you you go there and you have this vision of how your father died and how this is is uh, his house burned down or sorry um how how he died and then you you're wandering around and you you start to see these strange things in the fields at night moving and it's all sort of a midsummer um uh what's it called the um uh wicker man sort of thing but then it, it what it does and it's, it's a key thing is you, you keep on seeing this one guy in a wide brimmed hat looking down at the floor so you never see his face and the game is really tastily designed so when you're sort of walking across these rickety mountain paths you'll sort of see him on, on your one of your quests to get you know whatever you get the key to open the door it's pretty simple stuff and then you'll we'll go down the path and he'll be gone but then he'll be in the distance looking at you but nothing is made of it no musical cues and it it it, it all it all builds up to just feel really unsettled because you're not sure where the scares or the narrative is really going to go you're just kind of exploring this just very quiet mountain community and um and what what i really enjoyed about it is the way it all it, it, it may seem odd and um obscure and obtuse and maybe a little bit um sort of emotionally distant in the way it it, it presents itself to you but as it all comes together, it really does hold on a singular thread and the whole narrative never gets silly or rely on, you know, like jump scares or going above its station. It's just this very beautiful little frightening story set in, in a small area. And uh, yeah, if you, if you've got like, I would say if you had a good six hours to just pump through it with like a bottle of wine or just, just on a nice sort of lonely cold night, then it's perfect game for it. I would play it on the Xbox series X if you can, because it's 60 FPS. I, I think I played this when uh, just, just after my son was born and I ended up playing it in the evenings when I was sort of looking after him through the night when my partner was getting some sleep. So I had to play it on the um, Xbox one in the bedroom at 30 FPS, but I was so hips deep that I couldn't not wait to play it. If you know what I mean? So I was just playing, I played it through in two nights and I was totally sucked in and yeah, I hidden fields, the the developers, like I'm, I, I would ha- not only would I happily play this again, but I'm very keen to see what they came up with next because they've they've really got it the the tone down for this sort of horror. That sounds intriguing. Um, do, have they made other games or is this the first one? Yeah. Well, that's pretty good then for a first game. Um, yeah. It sounds like um, when you talk about like like black and white kind of spooky graphics it, it reminds me of the um obra din the you remember that game oh the one bit the, yeah the legend of the obra din yeah yeah By the yeah. guy who did papers please wasn't it yeah uh, yeah i find it it's a really interesting art style um okay uh have you got curse, other games curse of the obra din sorry any other curse games of the Oberdin, yeah. Uh, well, I've got two I can go through really, really quickly. One is just a ground, which is the first game I give 10 out of 10 to. So play a ground if you can. It's fantastic. And what kind I've, of game I've, is that? I've heard of this. It's it's almost like a, a sort of Terraria sort of game, uh-huh. but even uh-huh. even more simplistic. But I I'm not going to talk about it because I've written full two full articles on it, and then I've just I've only given it another mentioned my 10 out of 10 the first ever on the website because it was released for the xbox this like last year so i could just mention yeah. it again so a ground is fantastic for you like that sort of craft and survival stuff and there's a game by um 
um, an analgesic productions called Anodyne 2. The first game was made in 2013. I've never played it, probably never will. But um, Anodyne 2 Return to Dust uses a PS1 aesthetic, but it, 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 uh-huh. it morphs uh, through others as well. You start off in this world where it's an underground city that has been overtaken by this dust and you were created as this being to remove the dust from the world. And you, you do this by going around, sucking up the dust, dropping it off. And each time you do it, it raises the amount of stuff you can hold in your dust tank. And so it allows you to explore further in the world. Um, and it, I was playing the game and I didn't expect to be as taken by it as I was. And you, you see, you play this nano collector called Nova. Um, and as you go away further away from the center around the world, all these little mini games make themselves apparent. So every time you have to, you know, to to remove like this sort of mother dust particle from certain areas, for example, you have to shrink down and go into people's brains. And then it'll take the role of like a top down, like 16 bit Zelda game. And you have to solve mm. puzzles. And um, again, sort of tying it back to um, what's the game I mentioned earlier on? Uh, mm, 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 sorry. Uh, like Tux and Fanny, there's mm. a, there, there was a danger where I thought, is this just going to be a load of like slapped together bollocks? And you realize, no, actually, this is a very carefully crafted game. And all of the things that are happening, no matter how odd or surreal or funny, are very much part of this mental landscape, if you know what I mean. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I know we're running out of time. So, yeah. Uh, if you, I've seen a few people talking about, oh, there's no games with PS1 visuals or N64 visuals. Definitely check out Anodyne 2, which is available on all consoles, and it is just a really, really beautiful. It's only about four or five hours long as well. A really, uh, uh, well, a lo-fi, cohesive, dreamlike narrative with a beautiful soundtrack is what I've written here. So definitely um, something to have a go see. I mean, there's a reason why developers don't use PS1 visuals. <laughs> most of the time it's called polygonal clashing we've all played just <laughs> metal black um the, and the um but the other thing i was going to say is i'm in the middle of trying to get hold of the soundtrack because it's hard to get hold of in britain because it's bloody in europe somewhere but um the the, the all the all of the music was done on like a i think it's like a like a two octave keyboard by the developer and it's just it's so naively beautiful that i'm trying to get hold of that at the moment um Okay, so now we talked about the best. Are, are there any particular disappointments from last year? Games that you were really I, looking I, forward to? And I'm a positive Percy. I, I, well, I, I kind of expect the worst. I would say, I don't even know if it was last year or this year before, but like Cyberpunk, when um, I, I'm wait, just waiting for that. But I expected it to be a crock of shit because of all the delays and the crunch. So... Um, I'm just waiting for the next gen release of that, and then even when the next gen release comes out, I'll wait a few months for patches. <laughs> yeah. But no, there's no. Um, I've, got, I've got no disappointments. I'm a, I'm a positive pussy. It's because you haven't played Back for Blood yet, isn't it? That's the real reason. It's easy to stay positive when you haven't played Black, Back for Blood, which is the uh, new game by the Turtle Rock Studios people, who previously done. I think they started out on Counter-Stroke, but they, they did the Left 4 Dead, at least the first Left 4 Dead game. Um, and then they did that game, Evolve, which I don't know if you've heard of that. I've, that was, yeah, that was like a, that was an Xbox exclusive, wasn't it? Yeah, the, that was the asymmetric thing, yeah. yeah. And um, 
there's microtransactions and all sorts of nonsense there and it wasn't fun um and now they've made back for blood and yeah this was really crushing actually because i was so looking forward to this but just i i mean as you know i've played left for dead 2 a bit once or twice <sighs> Is there um, like five thousand hours or something you played it for? I think I did break the thousand hours um, barrier, but I have seen people online who've who've got three thousand, five thousand hours on it. Uh, it's preposterous. It's like a full time job. Um, but I think that's testament to the the fact that you know Left 4 Dead 2 still got a very healthy player base, and it came out in what two thousand nine. Uh, speaks to its kind of. Um, it's design, but I think the design in Back for Blood is just wrong. The balancing and the pacing is all wrong for me. Um, it's just the like the moment to moment gameplay is relentless, and there are just too many cheap attacks. It's like um, the way I'd put it is that like Left for Dead, it's its director, the kind of AI that is throwing stuff at you in a kind of not randomly generated way but in a very specific way left for dead director it felt like an evil genius this was out to get you and but in an amusing way back for blood's director feels like a petulant child like it has it's just these constant spasms of total chaos which can't be managed in a satisfying way um so there's just a bunch of cheap attacks uh, and yeah, it just doesn't feel like you're ever quite anywhere closer to wielding any sort of control over the situation. Um, so it doesn't feel tactical, more just a constant sense of panic. Um, yeah, I did not enjoy Back for Blood, unfortunately. That was yeah, this is a game that I'm probably going to play because my brother has um, suggested it um, after we got we've, we've always got games on the go. Yeah. Um, and and I know that I was actually going to play it because I know they threw in a single player campaign, um, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm probably going to play it in multiplayer now. But from what you said, because I I played a lot, I played a lot of uh, Left 4 Dead 2 in split screen, mm. local split screen, and I remember the whole thing about that, like you say, the pacing of walking through the carnival and 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 bumbling through the streets and it being eerily quiet, and then hearing like the you know the witch crying and and yeah. all like a the roar of a monster and. And then getting an onslaught and whatever. But from what you said, it just all the pacing now that just sounds one dimensional, like just a yeah. It it's very it's much faster paced. There's you don't really get those moments of quiet and and also just you get these. Is it a constant barrage of like special zombies coming at you and their attacks? And I like mini bosses and their attacks are just. Just some of them are just a bit unfair. They're like, like there's no way of avoiding them, sort of thing. So it's very hard to feel particularly tactical. I, I, I've been having more fun with Aliens Firestorm, Firestorm, Fire Team, Fire Team, Fire, Fire Team, yeah. Yeah, which again isn't a particularly good game, but it's more fun than Back for Blood, I would say. Um, and the only other real disappointment for me was Narita Boy, which was released early. I think it was March. Narita um, Boy. What a record! What a record! I kickstarted this back in 2017, uh, and the aesthetics are really wonderful. It's like an 80s style Tron type aesthetic. Great graphics, great pixel art graphics, great music. Unfortunately, they forgot to 
bother with the gameplay. Like it's just moving your character just feels wrong from the very start. And I don't think I think if it, a game can't, it will really struggle to recover from that. If you if your first kind of response to controlling your character is oh this doesn't feel right, I think it's really hard to come back from that. Uh, and it d- just doesn't really. It wasn't fun. I probably will go back to it just to see more of the the aesthetic because it is gorgeous. But mm. I I actually got sent this to review and and I was there was so much hype on the internet about it or, or like in my feed about the upcoming release and I said oh people who put money into it by any chance. Well, this is the thing and of course I got it and I was playing it and it felt fundamentally wrong. Like the the whole mm. um there were a few things the the things I found wrong with like first that the presentation is great and the music well again it's like Pekamino so like I've got the vinyl and I like it's one of my favorite like sort of pseudo eighties dance tracks you know I I listen to it all the time apart from the second track which is just weirdly weirdly full on it's a bit of a misnomer on the album but apart from that the, the whole album is great um it's like this it's like an electric wave it sort of goes and you think well after like natty the boy it's a little bit off-putting um but yeah when i was playing the game it was it was the fact that all of the place names had these really ostentatious names and the and the narrative just felt really sort of overly dramatic mm. um but also yeah moving the character felt really stiff and mm. the cop the, the combat was awful and the way that you have to walk through these really tall doors and stand in a specific place and keep pushing up to go through them removed all sort of fluidity from the game yeah. and i thought and then when i went online and saw everyone like giving it nine nine and a half out of ten i thought you've backed it haven't you you just feel really defensive and protective because you've put money towards it there. But, you know, if you put a tenor towards it in 2017, then I think I can I can leave that behind. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> I've spent more on worse things than that, so I'm fine with that. I'll probably play it again just to give the aesthetics a go because I'm a bit of a sucker. Just listen to the album and shut up. All right. Stop being yeah, just listen to the single again. Um <laughs> Yeah, and that's it really in terms of the disappointments for me. Um, have we got a couple of minutes just to run through some of the upcoming games next yeah, year? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I've mentioned well, this I, mean, I, I mentioned that that, that driving Yugoslavian cars around a city, Autobahn Police <laughs> Simulator Three. There's there's the Streets of Rogue Two coming out, um, which yeah, which which I'm really excited, and it's going to be open world, um, but very much just the same thing. I think it's going to be kind of a terrarium open world, but it just like generates like a random biome, but it's just a lot of a lot of quests and the, apparently it's a, a narrative for you to go through, which is the perfect thing for Streets of Rogue, really. Uh, Cannibal and Cor- uh, Cannibal Corpse, um, Cannibal Crossing is the next game coming from the developer that brought us Death Row to Canada, so that looks interesting. Good. Uh, and there's also I forget what the game is called, but Lauren Lamke, who also created. Uh, Super Blood Hockey is making a game that effectively looks like a cross between Godzilla and Rampage. So that's Fine. exciting to me as well. Lots of indie stuff. Um, I did but, enjoy Super Blood Hockey. It's a bit, yeah. It was very simple, but it was very fun. That's what you um, need from an arcade uh, thing. So yeah, um, the, but yeah, and I'm like I said, I'm looking forward to playing the um, when it's all patched up and ready to rock, the version of Cyberpunk 2077. Mm-hmm. But and and also there is something else. Um, my I'm just gonna really blow my own drum, but my band has four songs being featured in an upcoming game from Wide Productions called Arcade Paradise, which yes. is a game where you you uh, take over a laundrette from your father, 
and then turn the back of it into just an arcade. Uh, and I think there's like 35 or 40 mini games in there. And I think in the in the in the game you can wander around and pick up records, and four of the songs are recluse. Just, um, yeah, just hang around listening to the awesome tunes. I got I was really surprised by the songs he chose because I gave him our entire back catalog to choose from. And the the he was it was really funny because he was bouncing back saying I really like this song, I like this song. He said, Okay, I like this one, I prefer this one to this one. And I said, I wrote them all. I don't care what you like, they're all mine. I'm always gonna be happy. <laughs> and uh, and then he was like, Okay, I've settled on these four, and I thought, bloody hell. They <laughs> they would not be my first choice is. Like, um, is um is that American wrestler still using your Tim so Donst. No, yeah. he's changed his. He's changed his. He used it for yeah. about like seven years, but he changed his. Um, what is it, not theme? What do they call it? Like persona. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he's using it anymore. Uh, right. Okay. Um. Right. Next year. That's not. I keep saying next year, but it's clearly this year. Um. Stalker two, unfortunately, has been delayed from April. Now it's going back to December. But okay, I think it's going to be the story of this year, to be honest. I Especially think games being games. delayed, yeah, games yes. being delayed is a good thing. Uh, it really is. Yeah, and, yeah. And the thing is, I, I, come, I come at this because did you ever play Severium, which is what, which is the sort of um, what they said um, the team behind um, Stalker were, were going to do it was like an online arena multiplayer shooter. It was crap. So when they said they were doing Stalker 2, I thought, look, I love Stalker. I think it's one of the most terrifying games ever made, and I'm all up for it. But I was very much going to wait for like a few patches down the line. To be honest, right, if you cannot wait to play Stalker 2, just play Chernobylite in the meantime. <laughs> because it's very much the same thing at 30 FPS. Or just watch Tarkovsky's Stalker on repeat. Yeah. Have you um, played Chernobylite? No. You'd probably really, really, really like it, Rupert. It's just a really, it, it's effectively Stalker, just yes, with yes, more yes. of a story to it. So yeah, Chernobylite, um, give that a crack if you're a Stalker fan and you've gutted about the December wait. Um, Starfield is out this year. The next, it's the first like original Bethesda IP, IP in twenty something years. <sighs> Although, right, I don't. We've talked about this like very, very briefly on and off. I don't. What is it? I don't know what it is. It's like a, I, I guess it's Bethesda's answer to like Mass Effect or something. Um, it's a huge space RPG um, type thing. And um, obviously the production value is going to be massive. And unlike something like Star Citizen, it will eventually get released. I was going to say, when you mentioned that delays are always good. I mean, you look at something like Star Citizen, which was meant to be released in what, 2015 or whatever. I think it's it's clearly not a good thing because it's just got it's the most ridiculous form of feature creep ever. But I I think Star Citizen is a bit of a different story anyway because they've effectively come across a business model where they never have to release the game because there are a bunch of wealthy people spending thousands of pounds on it without there ever being they don't need to release the game because they've got this core. It's almost like the. It's almost like a kind of NFT marketplace before that was even a thing. Anyway, but Starfield is coming out in in November. I don't think it will. I think it'll be delayed. Um, also out this year that I'm looking forward to, Hellblade Two is coming out at some point. Yeah. Mm. Um. You liked that, the first one, Rupert. I did, and I and I, and it was this was this has already been delayed. I think. Or at least 
it's been in production for a long time. So I do think that will be out this year. Games I'm not so sure will be out this year would include Cyber, well, not Cyberpunk, um, Breath of the Wild 2. I'm not sure whether that's going to come out this year. Uh, they say it will, but who knows? Um, yeah, so, so what else we got? Um, Dying Like 2 is out next month. Yes, I'm, get, I'm getting sent the vinyl to review, um, which I've got to upload on the 11th, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually intrigued about the record because um, Oliver de Rivier, who did, I think the, the, the surname de Rivier when you're a musical artist is, this is very close to derivation, isn't it? Um, it's He has said that it's an album of two halves. The first half is sort of, um, uh, basically makes it sound like it's going to be hard listening. The first half is just about the sort of the panic and the mistrust. And then the second half is all about the environment. So I, I don't know if it's going to be uh, going to be an album where like the first record is is really full on and yeah. panicked and, and then screeching metal. And then the second half is more ambient. ambient so, yeah, yeah, I'm just I'm really intrigued how that's going to uh, yeah. play out. But but again, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to playing that. I played the first one single player and then i played it through again about well, less than a year ago with my brother transvaal um in co-op so and, and it is it's still a genre that i'm not bored of the whole zombie free-running genre so i, I am i'm very keen for it yeah i'm absolutely fine with that it's a, they're a lot of fun um what else am i looking forward to lord of the rings Gollum. i think this is going to be secretly a good game um I think it's more of a kind of a, a slower, sneakier type um, action RPG type thing. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Splatoon 3 apparently is coming out this year. Again, can't see it happening. Um, the new Rocksteady game, Suicide Squad, is coming out this year. I'm intrigued, but I just, well... Suicide Squad. I'm not that interested in Suicide Squad. That's the problem. I, I think with the company as 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 you know in, in as steady hands as Rocksteady, yes, they, they're not going to mess it up, are they? They're no, like they're going to make these fun. characters. Apparently, the Guardians of the Galaxy game by Idos Montreal is really good, and I'm still yeah, keen I've heard to this play that. Really good. I'm keen to play that. Definitely. Um, and I'm intrigued by uh, Sonic Frontiers, which is this open world Sonic game. Just wondering if they can make an actual fun 3D Sonic game. Who you know, knows? When you said open world Sonic, then I actually I didn't realise, but I really closed my eyes. <laughs> I just thought, like, have they learned nothing? Did they learn nothing from Sonic Mania? Well, this is the thing that concerns me. It's like, yeah, exactly. But, like, I, I've played a lot of Sonic games and a lot of 3D Sonic games, and they're never that fun. Like, even the ones that are supposedly great, it's like... Am I having that much fun? Would I, in fact, rather be playing a pixel art side-scrolling platform game? Would I rather be playing Sonic Mania? And so it's like they've got no pedigree to really build on when it comes to an open-world 3D game. So it's like I'm intrigued by how that's going to work. But who knows? I was surprised by how good this Sonic the Hedgehog movie was. So maybe they'll get this right as well. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that or Detective Pikachu or the second one coming up. But um, I I will watch all these things. I would say watch, yeah, the Sonic movie's good. It, I mean, it's got James Marsden in it, who I fancy, and and it's got Jim Carrey being on top form. So, yeah, good. Excellent. He was 60 yesterday, by the way. 60. It's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, what a man. 
Yeah, what a dude. What a strange man, but what a dude. <laughs> what a man. What a, what a strange man. <laughs> the, the, the um, character witness rests, Your Honour. There's, so, there's a couple of slightly under-the-radar ones that are releasing this year, which you may want to keep your eye out for. One's called Weird West, which is an action RPG, obviously Western-based action RPG from some former Arcane developers. So that could be interesting. Um, I think that's coming straight to Game Pass, possibly. And there's a is a much delayed game called Scorn coming out, which seems to be a first-person horror type game, very much influenced by the likes of H.R. Geiger. So that might be worth a look. I fancy that it could be style over substance, but it does look beautiful. So in a horrendous way. So what are you playing the, for? You know, for the next week, what's what what's going to be booted up for you then coming up? Um, I am currently playing Lord of the Rings, the adventure card game, which is a, which is a port of a uh, physical card game, but it's on Switch and not really normally into card games, but I do like Lord of the Rings, so that is is grabbing me. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm playing at the moment. How about you? The, well, just on that subject, the, the um, Capcom versus SNK Cardfighters Clash, originally released on the Neo Geo Pocket Color, is coming out on Switch, so I recommend that because it's one of the best card games ever made. Mm-hmm. And the sole reason I bought Pocket Color. Um, so, um, yeah, for, for me, it's, well, actually, again, I do um, online gaming so rarely with my brother. It's the only person I do co-op with. And what I'm doing now is working because I've just given up on it. We've moved on so many times that I'm now just slowly making my way through Far Cry 6 solo because mm-hmm. I've just, I've just, I've, it's been installed for so long. I'm just like, I want to just chip away at it and finish it because I was enjoying it. Um, uh, aside from that, uh, it's, it's all lots of things like records, books, and not gaming really. Um, it, for review, um, it's just seeing what comes along. Yeah. Um, apart from, uh, Let's Sing 2022, which I installed today and I've got a cover. So I'll be doing a bit of singing tomorrow night. Hopefully Excellent. pissed. Um, I, say, I say hopefully pissed. It's a situation I can engineer quite easily. Well, as long as you don't have to give the give it go on Dua Leaper and Sean Paul. No lie. <laughs> That's a challenging one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's all 100% clear like <laughs> like classic british english like his yeah. uh, his lyrics and that it was, but uh, uh, yeah it is astonishing um yeah but they are surprisingly good the next thing game um excellent right well that's that's it that's everything so let's, 21, get, 21. let's look forward to 2022 absolutely and let's get back to watching death wish sequels um yeah well, de- well actually um what am i watching i just finished watching the Stranger, and it recommended The Shooter with Michael Dudikoff, which is one of the most boring films I've ever encountered. So that was what, like, that was my run up to this. So hopefully I can, uh, yeah, go back to, go back to enjoy myself. Hopefully as soon as I can. Excellent. Well, I love you. I love you. And I love you more. Who said what? <laughs> and farewell. <laughs>